Welcome home. It is good to be home. Found myself in Knoxville and Pittsburgh this week. So, and then my wife is in Nashville today and driving to Georgia. So, taking Chloe back to Georgia. It's just tr- months of traveling. Well, shalom. Really? Shalom. shalom. Means peace to you. Peace to you. That is a typical Jewish greeting. And where we left you last week is Jesus pretty much said to his disciples, they're still in the upper room, we're at the last few verses of chapter 14, and he says to them real quickly, peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give to you. In other words, you disciples can figure out how to manufacture as much peace as you can in your little world, your little kingdom. But if you understand that you have my peace, it's different. It's different. And this is where he left them. He was really saying to them, the world bases its peace on its resources while God bases peace upon relationships. Relationships. The question we really left you with is how how do you get peace some of you will sit there and go well i go on vacation or i go into my study or i go get a coffee or i listen to music or how do you get that peace what jesus is really saying to his disciples and you have to you have to get this I, I really believe it, it is the difference for those all believers, all believers that understand this little truth right here. It's the difference between walking non-victoriously as a Christian and walking victoriously. But it's yielding your life to Jesus. In other words, get out of the way so that he can do his life through you. A little hard, right? It's a little hard. Hey, it's hard to yield your life. But I'm telling you, if you do, it is one of the most amazing adventures, just like Luke described with his relationship with KD. There's peace there because they're both yielding their life to a different source. It's not... It's not about coming here. You guys think that, you know, I'm all scholarly or whatever because I can read my notes and make notes, but it's not about knowing the word. It's not about that. That's not what brings me peace. You you can't generate the peace that Jesus is talking about. You can't. It's not about going to seminary. It's not about it's not about memorizing this thing. 
that the scripture is not our life. All right? Don't, don't misquote me. Don't mishear me. The scripture is not our life. It's important, but it's not our life. It's Jesus who's revealed through the word that's our life. The Spirit uses the word to give us his peace. We look at in John 14, 27, it says that. And then in John 15, 9, it says it's his love. John 15, 11 says it's his joy. If that doesn't calm a troubled heart, nothing will. Nothing will. Trust me. Work at it. Strive for it. You're not going to get there. We have to live by his life. There's no other way to do it. It's not by knowing peace. It's by having his peace in your life. It literally is living your life by another source. It is Christ in you. Most of you in here... uh, saw my Facebook post yesterday and obviously uh, there's I appreciate you guys coming here how you doing how you doing I'm doing all right I'm doing all right I'm just yielding my life to the father it's not about it's not about me I mean obviously dealing with friends I'm dealing with uh, as Keith said Becky and then obviously uh, our chief chief of police went through an ordeal here and we've got friends that are suffering in here uh, so we pray for peace for my friend Mitch he man if you knew him if you knew Mitch he was he is of the highest morals like he believes in the law. <laughs> he believes in the law. He He's by the book kind of guy. Like, he wants to do things right. He has a good heart. And he made a bad choice. And he blew it. And he's going to suffer the consequences. And I guarantee you right now he's looking for peace which he's not going to find for a while unless unless he looks to another source. That's the whole deal. That's the whole deal. So not only is he hurting, but uh, police, fire, everybody's hurting for Mitch. So, Father, I pray for, I pray for Mitch that you would just mm, comfort him, comfort all those that were involved. Realize that uh, the law is only there to show us that we need a Savior. That everyone fails, for all have sinned and fallen short. Including those of the highest morals. So Lord, I pray for grace upon my friend, upon his family upon those that were involved in the accident I just pray that you would uh, heal them 
And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He says, I did not give to you as the world gives. There's always going to be uh, two responses. One, obviously, is from the world. And it's based upon circumstances, just as we talked about here. You can generate peace through circumstances. And a lot of times that will bring even condemnation. It brings condemnation. You, you can see it very clearly. And then the other source, obviously, is from Jesus. And the only thing that you're going to get there is you're going to get grace, you're going to get comfort, and you're going to get peace. He says, I'm not bringing to you what the world's bringing to you. I'm bringing something different to you. If you want something different from the world, look at me. It's the only place you're going to get it. And then, as he's like wrapping up, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Gosh, that's real easy, right? (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard... He said, you've heard. He didn't say you understood because they didn't understand at this point. He says, you've heard me tell you I am going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father. That doesn't even make sense to them. But it makes total sense to me if they only knew what was to come. Right? There's a bigger picture. You guys, there's a bigger picture. They're so focused on this very moment. Oh my goodness, we're getting ready to leave this upper room and they're going to arrest my friend, my my rabbi, and they're going to kill him. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a bigger picture out there, you guys. Just hang on. I told you what's going to happen. I know you don't get it. I know you don't see it. But he returned to the Father. He's going to return to the Father. Now watch this. This is kind of crazy. When he came from the Father, and when he returned to the Father, it was different. When he came from the Father, he came as a man in an earth suit, and he was recognized as a prophet. A prophet was somebody who told the truth. To be a true prophet, everything that came out of your mouth had to come true. If it didn't come true, then you were considered a false prophet. Just If you just missed one, you were considered a false prophet. But Jesus came here to this earth as a prophet, and he says, I'm going away and I'm going to my father. Guess what he went away as? He went away as the high priest. And the only way that he could go away as the high priest is because the priest was the one that came in and made the blood sacrifice. He had to have a blood sacrifice to offer. And Jesus did that. He came as a prophet. He left as, get this, our high priest. Our high priest. He made the sacrifice for all 
our sins. He came as a prophet, but left as a high priest. There's a good news. In Revelation, it says he's going to return, and when he returns, he returns as a king. Came as a prophet, left as a priest, he'll come back as king. And then he says this. This is one of the most confusing verses. It says, because the Father is greater than I. The fa- now, I thought you said that God, Jesus, and the Spirit are the same. Yeah, they're the same, but they're all different. He's not talking about in deity, but he's talking about the limitations of human flesh. If I take you to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, it says this. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. God came down here to have a relationship with us But he had to do that. He had to come in flesh form to do that. Philippians 2, verses 5, it says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So what Jesus had to do is he literally put limitations on himself by coming in an earth suit. I say that's limitations, but at the same time, it was to our benefit. Because Jesus clearly understands what it's like for us to live in this flesh suit. You hear what I'm saying? Like, Jesus felt your pain. In fact, I guarantee you, you probably have not felt the pain that he felt in an earth suit. Trust me. But because he came in an earth suit, because he limited himself as a holy God and came here in this earth suit, and he lived here and walked this earth and everything else, and he experienced, he's able to sympathize with us as believers, which is a beautiful thing. My God came here and lived this life and sympathizes with me. And then verse 29, he says, I have told you now before it happens, so then when it does happen, you may believe. Can you imagine, you know, like, Jesus has told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to go. I'm going to be raised three days later. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send a helper to you. And they're just sitting there with a glazed over look like some of you here in this room. Uh, Really? What's that mean? And then... When Pentecost actually happened in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit rushed through like this wind came and the Holy Spirit entered to them and they did all these amazing things. They did these miracles and people were getting saved. They're like, oh, wow. I remember him in the upper room when he said, this is what's going to... It makes sense now. They didn't get it at the time, but they definitely get it now. Verse 30 says... I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. 
he has no power over me. How did he even say that? (laughs) He has no power over me. Wait, the ruler of the world? Well, who's the ruler of the world? Surprise. Who's the ruler of the world? Satan is the ruler of the world. He is the prince of the airwaves. He, look, he's the one that's in control here on the earth. He can screw this sound system up real quick, and he's done it before. That's just what he's capable of doing. And Jesus is saying, look, there's, there's two authorities. One is the evil one, Satan, and he's got power over this world. But guess what? He ain't got nothing on me. He ain't got nothing on me. So watch. Watch this. I always say you have two choices. You can either walk by the flesh, walk by the spirit, walk by the flesh, walk by the spirit. You got two choices. You can either walk with the power of this world, or you can walk with the man who says, He has no authority over me. Who you want to walk with? You want to walk with your flesh? Go for it. Try it. Make it happen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You've got to figure out what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. If the evil one has no power over Jesus Christ, the safest place for you to be is in Christ. That's it, period. You want protection? You stay in Christ. In fact, here's here's another piece of good news for you. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you are a child of God and He's your Savior and He's the Lord of your life, if you believe that, it's His responsibility to keep you in Christ. You don't even have to work at that. That's crazy. That's His deal. Watch this. the evil one is the ruler of this world the evil one knows no truth who who told the first lie satan did satan told the very first lie there's no truth there's no truth there's no truth in the evil one and if there's no truth then there is no wisdom And if there is no wisdom, then there's no discernment. Who you want to walk with? (laughs) Right? Who who you want to walk with? You want to walk with the power of this world, the evil one? Is that what you want to do? Where there's no truth, there's no wisdom, there's no discernment? Or do you want to walk with the spirit who says, I have all authority over the evil one. And I'm going to speak the truth. And with the truth comes wisdom, and with wisdom comes discernment. Figure it out, he's saying to the disciples. Jesus and the evil one, they can't even be compared. 
And then the last verse, he says, On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. In other words, I'm getting ready to go, and I'm getting ready to make this sacrifice. And I want you to know how much I love my Father. The world's about to see it. The world is about to see it. And then he says, get up. Let's leave this place. Some of them are probably going, oh, finally. <laughs> Seriously, that's where they were. But the others were just panicked. You go to Matthew twenty six thirty. It says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we know that they went from the upper room to the Mount of Olives. Now let me take you back to where we were in the first week of June when we started this whole Passover meal thing up in the upper room. This is when we started it two months ago. We went through 15 different ceremonies. What you just read right there, it says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That is the 14th that is the 14th ceremony of the Passover. The 14th ceremony is called the Hillel. It's the singing of Psalms 113 to 118. That is a current practice that they do with the Passover right now. And they sang these verses, Hillel, over the fourth cup. Remember, there are five cups in today's Passover. This was the fourth cup. So literally, you've taken the Passover meal... And now this one little verse right here says, this is how we're wrapping up the Passover meal. We're singing the Hillel together, and then we're getting up and going to the Mount of Olives. There's a 15th ceremony that's practiced nowadays because it dealt with Elijah, and it's called the, Ner the Nertzah. And a lot of Jews practice this. It's a fifth cup. It's a modern-day addition to the Passover. It's not something that Jesus and the disciples practiced. But someone states that God is pleased how this Seder was performed by taking this fifth cup. It was like almost an applause as they drink this fifth cup. That was brought in about 600 A.D., this 15th ceremony of Nertzah scholarly Jews debate whether there were actually four or five cups. So no one ever touches the fifth cup. They assume that Elijah will return and Elijah will settle the dispute whether or not there was a fifth cup. That's not for me. I'm not a Jew. I'm not doing the... I don't do the Passover. I, I, I love to study it. It makes sense because it lines up with everything that lines up here with Scripture. Pretty crazy. And then now, I'll take you to this last part. We'll cover, see if we can cover like six verses here. So they've made their way, those that were with me in Israel, they were in the upper room, they left the upper room, they walked down these steps, they walked past the Temple Mount, the southern part of the Temple Mount, into the Kidron Valley, and then they walked up to the Mount of Olives. Maybe mile and a half, two miles. And the Mount of Olives was where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And this is where Jesus settled with his disciples. 
And then he goes into another dissertation with his disciples. Because now they've left the safety of this upper room and they've gone out into the public and they know that Jesus is about to be arrested. And he breaks in to this message and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, let me free you up here because this is a passage of scripture that has been used and abused on Christians for a long time. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. We have any gardeners in here? Like, how many people of y'all are growing tomatoes right now? Yeah. Anything else you're growing? Grapes. Somebody's going grapes. Peppers. Yeah. Uh, how many of you have just carrots? Nice. Only in caramel. Uh, how many of you just like threw seed out <laughs> and got produce? You didn't do anything, you didn't water it, you didn't do anything, you didn't dig a hole or you have to you have to like literally you have to like be the gardener for these seeds to grow into something to produce fruit. There has to be a gardener. So who literally I ask you this question honestly, who is responsible for producing the fruit? The gardener. The gardener is. The gardener's got to like take care of it when it's not producing. It's got to make sure, well, why isn't it producing? Well, it needs fertilizer. It needs pruning. It needs water. It needs whatever it needs. The gardener is responsible for producing fruit. Take a breath now. Take a breath now. Because all along your whole Christian life, you've been told as a Christian, you need to be producing fruit. If Jesus says, I'm the vine, and my father is the gardener, who's responsible for producing fruit through you? God the Father is. What? What? Like, the father is responsible for raising your support? Absolutely he is. I'll put you there when you're ready. It's the Father's deal. Jesus says, look, disciples, I'm taking the pressure off of you right now. Watch. He says in verse 3, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Oh, here we go. (laughs) You Christians, if you're not out there producing fruit, He's going to remove you, and he's going to send you to hell. That's one of those good, fiery, brimstone messages that you need to be doing these things for God. Otherwise, he's going to prune you. He's going to cut you back, and he's going to burn you because you're useless. Now, what if I were to tell you, what if I were to tell you that 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 word right there, every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes. If you take that back to the Greek root, that it actually means to lift up. 
It means to whose responsibility is it for the vine to produce fruit? It's the gardener's. What if he is to like lift up? In Gethsemane, there's 2,000-year-old olive trees. And when we went there, we saw these olive trees, and look at this. Are you kidding me? Do you see what's on the bottom right-hand side of that tree? There's a pile of rocks that at one point this olive tree was not producing on that branch. And the gardener came in and he propped that branch up so that the olive tree would produce olives. What if, what if that word, that Greek word, instead of remove, actually means to lift up, to prop up, because it's the gardener's responsibility to cause the tree to produce fruit? Show me that other one. Look, it just wasn't one tree, it was many trees. Look at that. That tree's 2,000 years old at least. That's crazy. But you can see where this passage all of a sudden just makes sense to me. It makes sense. And it says, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here it is. Figure this out. Remain in me. Abide in me. Hello. Figure out what abide means. Figure out what remain in me means. And I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain, you abide in me. Abiding. Abiding. It simply means yielding your life to another source. That's what it means. How do you abide? Step aside. Step aside. Why do I need to step aside? Because you've screwed it up so many other times. I'll do this. For, that's why I went to the cross. That's why I was buried. That's why I rose again. That's why I sent a helper. I'll do this for you. Just hang out with me. Yield your life to me. Abide with me. Remain in me. I and you. I'll do this for you. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't do anything? <laughs> You'll figure that one out real quick. You'll probably, if you, literally, if you are abiding in the Father, you'll probably be busier than when you weren't abiding in the Father. You watch your agenda. You watch your schedule. You watch who pursues you. I guarantee you, you won't just be sitting there. You'll be resting because you're yielding your life to the Father. Abiding. Does that mean read your Bible? Does that mean like go on mission trips? Does that mean praying all the time, 24-7? No. It means living your life in Christ. Letting Him do those things for you. I guarantee you, if you're abiding in Him and you're yielding your life to Him, it's going to cause you to want to read your Bible. 
It's going to cause you to want to figure this thing out. It's going to cause you to want to talk to him, which means pray. It's going to cause you to want to hang out with people that are like-minded. It's going to cause you to have relationships that don't even make sense. It's going to put you in awkward places where you don't even know what to say. Oh, those are always the best places when you don't know what to say. Because then you become dependent upon the Spirit to do it for you. Trust me. I've said it here this morning. You've heard me say, you either do it by the Spirit or you do it by the flesh. You realize, you do realize that you can do religious things by the flesh. Right? If you're doing things for yourself and doing things in your own strength, even if it's good things, it's sin. You won't hear that in church. If you're, I mean, that's, 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 <laughs> think about this for a second. That's literally like the branch sitting there like going, mmm, making orange. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what it's like. How's that working for you? It doesn't work. It's the Father's responsibility to produce fruit in you. Relax. Breathe. Enjoy Jesus, just what he created you for. Abide. Remain in him. Take a breath from Christianity. Just be. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. The branch, if it gets separated from the vine, it's not going to be able to produce fruit. Trust me. It must draw its life from the vine. The branch survives because of the vine. It gets separated and it dies. It's our communion with Christ through the Spirit that makes possible the bearing of fruit. In this last verse, he says, if anyone does not remain in me, if anybody does not abide in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they're burned. <laughs> Here we go. You guys, you guys that aren't producing, you better look out. You got to take this passage and you make it work with all 66 books. If what you just heard is that he's going to take the believers and those that aren't producing fruit, he's going to send you to hell, then that doesn't line up with the 66 books. Where does it line up with? 
I take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality, the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved but only as through fire. You see, I truly believe that there's going to be two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, the bema seat, that talks about in Revelation. That's not for us as believers because we've already been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there will be a judgment seat for the believers in here, and basically everything that you've done, all your works, are going to be listed there, and those works will be judged based upon what you've done in your flesh, in your own selfish self, in your own strength, and what you've done in Christ. And everything that you've done in your flesh and in your selfish self, in your own strength, is going to be burned up. It's worthless. It's worthless. But everything that you've done in Christ by abiding in him and remaining in him you'll receive a reward. Now, all of a sudden, that makes sense. You take the stuff that's, like, worthless and you burn it. You take that branch and you burn it. It's that branch that burns, not the believer. It's that fruit that you did in your own strength that burns, not the believer. The whole deal is this. He says, abide in me. My father's the gardener. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Stay connected. I'm your life source. You become dependent upon yourself. Becomes worthless. I'm focused on this passage all week long. And I'm riding with my friends yesterday in the car, and I go, you know, God's timing is, is pretty crazy. Because at the same time, on Tuesday, I flew to see our friend Becky and Becky for those of you who don't know was in a motorcycle accident about a week and a half ago was clinging to her life last Sunday when we were here and uh, had bad shoulder damage got there Tuesday and met her husband Stan for the first time Becky comes here every week sits right back here with Tuli's Phil Jan's sister and uh, faithful person of Lebner prays for kids daughters all the time prays for Stan prays for her whole family and <clears throat> Stan pulled back her robe and I saw her shoulder and 
It didn't even look like it was attached. It was so so badly damaged. And then, uh, I believe it was Thursday, they got the news. Nerve doctor came in and basically said, the nerves to her arm have detached from the spinal cord. Literally. That's the central nervous system of the body. They've detached and her arms become useless. I'm like, what is the God's timing that we're teaching about branches and my friend Becky? And I said this to the guys in the car, and I promise you, I promise you, they're here to attest to it. Within two minutes of me saying something, I got a text from Phil that says, I'm sending you a video from Becky. I'm like, what? We're just sitting here talking about, do I even like attach the two stories? And Becky sent this video. Hello there. In Lebanon. Thank you for you finally make my husband stand. He's been with me through this whole ordeal. But I know you all have been to in your prayers. And I thank you and I love you all. And as soon as I find the strength and the proper outfit, I'll be back <laughs> to visit and to be with you all. And I'll even eat a lovely donut in the morning. I look forward to hearing Rusty your teaching again. It's something I miss. You know. Okay, sign off, Brother Phil. All right, very good. See you Bye. Becky's going to be all right. Because she's remained attached to the vine. And because she's remained attached to the vine, she's producing fruit. Even through this ordeal, fruit is being produced like crazy. Trust me. She's smiling. We went there. We were encouraged by her. God will do amazing things through you if you remain in him and him and you. I promise you. It doesn't matter what the worldly circumstances are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You trust the Father. Lord, I trust you. Hmm. Trust you. It's really all we've got. And so uh, today I, I continue to pray for Becky and Stan and just thank you for their their lives. Thank you for uh, 
even what you've done this week to, to save her life. And we just pray for continued healing. I pray for my friend Todd, too, that you would just heal his body, take care of his family, and give them comfort, let them remain in you and you in them. And I pray for Mitch and the city all the staff that uh, peace peace would reign your peace would reign through them this week and that you would give them truth that you would give them wisdom and that you would give them discernment I even pray that for our mayor so Lord uh, I trust you And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.